0: This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers.
1: Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really
2: moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit.
1: That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around.
0: Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves, and helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks.
2: So, make the switch to Huggies Little Movers today. We got you, baby. When I'm on
1: my way to drop off the kids at school and I'm on about five hours of sleep and I haven't had my coffee yet, I'm truly one of a kind.
2: Yeah, this sounds like the beginning of a horror movie.
1: It is. But there is one thing I can do immediately to bring some comfort and calm to the situation and keep me moving forward. Eat Keebler Sandies.
2: I like to
0: think that if the good-looking guy was still around, sitting on the couch, comforting himself about not getting into college, he'd ditch the Cocoa Puffs and down some Keebler Sandies instead.
2: Mixed with chocolate syrup?
0: Ooh, why not?
1: When you need a comforting moment for yourself, Keebler Sandies is the
2: perfect treat to keep you going. Each Keebler Sandy's shortbread cookie is baked to perfection by the Keebler Elves for a light sweetness and a texture that melts in your mouth. The next
0: time you feel like you're juggling it all, reach for Keebler's Sandy's Shortbread Cookies to enjoy a simple moment of comfort.
1: When it comes to Podmeat's world, we're synonymous with two things. Watching our younger selves on a TV show from 30 years ago and loving Hyundai. The first ever
2: fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5.
0: With up to 303 mile range, available two-way charging and other category defining features, the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5 is one of the most
2: teched out electric vehicles ever. And as you know, we are tech heads.
1: Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 2024 Ioniq 5 rear-wheel drive has an EPA-estimated driving range of up to 303 miles. Actual range will vary with options, driving conditions and habits, vehicle and batteries condition and other factors. Available in limited quantities and select states only. What if there was someone who wanted to help you find a job? Choose Express Employment Professionals and that's exactly what you'll get.
2: I definitely, um, I ruined Sixth Sense for everybody I went to the movie theater with.
0: Really? I, Did you predict yes, it? Yes, I called it. I called it. I called
2: it too, but I called yeah. it for a but you I you tell feel me why like, you called it? Well, I think, we, I remember we were on the set of Boy Meets World when that movie came out. Like, we were working. I remember we were all talking about it. We were all like, oh, let's, you know. And so I think I knew that there was a twist. Like, I think I went into the theater knowing that, you know, something big is going to ha- or be revealed. But I just leaned over and I was like, why aren't they talking about the fact that he's dead? Like, why has nobody talked about that? Because it actually happens. I mean, if you watch the movie, he dies he gets in shot. the opening. Yeah. He gets yeah. shot. And then it like cuts to him later. And I was like, oh, he's dead. And now he's walked he hasn't talked to And I was like, why aren't they acknowledging that? And I was like, oh, that, that's that's the twist. Well, that's the mean I remember it.
0: I think not even thinking it was a twist because what happened was the first trailer I ever saw for that movie was the little kid going, I see dead people and then cutting right to Bruce Willis. So I went, okay, so Bruce Willis is dead. Like that's, I thought they wanted you to know that it wasn't like to me, they were hiding anything. And that was the only time I ever saw that trailer. Then they changed that trailer because obviously other people were like, all right, so Bruce Willis is dead. So to me, it wasn't a twist.
1: Oh, man. You guys seem like fun people to go to the movies with, huh?
0: (laughs) You know who was really big at ruining movies was Ben. Oh, really? Ben Ben would ruin movies left and right (laughs) because he would, you would be talking about a film that just came out. Like I remember Uh Wag the Dog just came out and I really wanted to see Wag the Dog. Great, you know, cool concept, amazing cast. And I said to Ben, he's like, What are you doing this weekend? I was like, Oh, I'm gonna go see Wag the Dog. And he just went, I can't believe they killed him at the end. (laughs) And I was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, what are you doing? And he would do that all and it was it wasn't he wasn't being malicious. He was just being Ben, like talking about it. Like, yeah, I can't I can't believe that they killed him at the end. And I was like, I just told you I haven't seen it. I just <laughs> said that. So he did that several times, I remember, where he, where he would just ruin a movie to where you just couldn't talk to Ben about films anymore. Oh, like, okay, I have to talk to him about movies after I've seen them. But, uh, yeah. What are your, here's a good question, since we've talked about concerts and all that kind of stuff. Danielle, what are your favorite movies that you were brought backstage at? <laughs> <laughs> or, who'd you get to hang out with? Who'd you get to hang out movie? with on your favorite sets
2: of the Did best you, movies? Ever? How were the dinosaurs behind the scenes of Jurassic Park? Were they nice? Oh, Tell man. us about George Lucas's
0: house. No. So, no. what are your favorite movies of all time?
1: Um, man, my favorite movies of all time. I feel a lot of sentimental attachment to The Wizard of Oz because I knew growing so up it was my mom's favorite movie. Okay. And so I think. Um, that has, as I've gotten older, has like become sentimental to me. That my it's my mom's favorite movie. Uh, I mean, honestly, I think my favorite movie is Goodfellas.
0: It's so a great good. movie! Yeah. That's it's the you have so to watch good. it every time it's on, kind of movie. Yes, like Shawshank. And I, Same I thing. think
1: <laughs> we've talked about this before, and writer has commented that like most of your favorite movies are the the movies you saw during that like really pivotal teenage time of your life. Mm-hmm. I think Goodfellas is my favorite movie because it was the first. Maybe it was the first, like, adult movie I watched as I was becoming an adult. And I was like, oh, I
2: understand cinema now. (laughs) I I get you, Uh, Scorsese. Yes,
3: (laughs) the the film. Uh, The film. Let's talk
2: Italian neorealism. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's 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 mine. What about yours, Will? Oh, my God.
0: What do you got, Ryder? What's uh
2: you know, I I you have so many favorite movies but I would say stand by me is still like up there Spirited Away is probably my, one of my favorite movies of really? all time Really Jason Marsden yeah. film is one of your favorite yeah, movies yeah Jason Marsden that's right Yeah Yeah no that's it's that's still top movie for me Uh Yeah, I don't know. The the more obscure one that um, I I, I should maybe mention is this movie called Margaret. Uh, It's a wonderful film. It's been like re-released actually as a director's cut. I like both versions. It's it's kind of a famously disastrous film, and that they couldn't the studio wouldn't release it. They kept re-editing it, uh, and they finally released. There's two versions out there. I would say both of them are unbelievable. Um, Anna Paquin is the star. Uh, It's like. It, it, yeah, it, it came out late. It came out it was made actually like right after September 11th. I want to say like 2005-ish or six, but then it didn't come out for years. Um, and so then it just kind of flew under the radar. but I'm I, I just think it's a brilliant film. so that's my my recommendation for people looking for I like a of three another hour one. movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: I thought of but. another
1: one that I love that's something I saw as an adult. Defending Your Life.
2: It's one
0: of the oh, best movies so ever made. I That's did the, not uh, see
1: that movie until I was in my like late 30s. Are you kidding? Yeah, oh, it's I a had pivotal
0: childhood movie for and
1: me. And man, yeah, did I love so that good.
0: movie. It's so so Goodfellas good and
1: in Defending Your Life. They're I like love right, that. they're about the same. Same type <laughs> of movie, you, you know. What about you, Will? Do
0: you have an easy answer? I I do. I have a couple. Well, defending Your Life is definitely on my list. I love. Say, come to my hotel sometime. We'll paint it. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, it's just one of the best movies ever but my i mean my knee-jerk reaction will always be the original willy wonka and the chocolate factory which is mm-hmm. odd because we were just talking about how i don't like musicals and i don't think you do either danielle it just no. takes me takes me out of the thing when everybody starts singing yeah um but also the movie that i showed Ryder, and i think you made it about 20 minutes before you fell asleep but you liked the first 20 minutes was <laughs> is ishtar which yeah, is a that's right. pivotal pivotal film for my, never my brother seen it. Oh, it's yeah. so good. It is. Talk about Hollywood legendary disasters. It's considered right, one of the worst right. movies of all time. And it's just not. It's a brilliant. Oh, it's been film.
2: reevaluated, though. A lot of people yeah. think it's actually a classic. Yeah, I've heard And so, every, heard my, my brothers and I it.
0: always joke that everything we liked as young adults has now become hip. So, we would sip bourbon totally. and watch Ishtar before anybody liked bourbon or Ishtar. And now everyone's like, I'm going to the bourbon Ishtar night. And we're like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so we were we were hipster and cool before any of that happened um but uh yeah so though i mean those films are up the defending your life is one of the best movies just ever made which yeah is really great. and the thing that was funny is right when i moved to la the person who played um uh, uh meryl streep's lawyer like yeah. her defender uh was sold me a car he was he was working at the the local BMW dealership for the for my first little tiny car, which is actually how be how defending your life starts. It's him buying his first BMW. Um, yeah. And it was that was the, so he I I sat down across from him and I went you were in defending your life and he went yeah I was it was uh, oh, it was wow. really cool it was a first it was a good taste of LA where it was like hey we're actors yeah you, you welcome you to Hollywood work. yeah you know you do what you can
1: <laughs> now wow. a lot of actors
2: are real estate agents yeah
1: that makes kind sense. because you
2: kind of got to perform right yeah yeah. 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 You got to have your headshot out there. Yeah. And And also it's (laughs) like,
1: (laughs) you know, you can, your schedule is like dependent on how many clients you have. So if you're Mm -hmm. like in a really busy season of auditioning or if you're currently on a job, you just don't take clients.
3: Yeah. Right.
0: I won't say his name, but the the real estate agent that sold Danielle his house, uh, sold you your house, Danielle, is like. One of he's a local legend. The guy, like I know, he's on every time I have to write a grocery list. I write it over his face because he he drops it (laughs) off at your house. The little notebooks, and Uh. we always joke like, "There he is, there he is." Yeah, so (laughs) he's a local celebrity.
1: Yeah, yeah, and having name recognition helps, you know, as as a real estate agent. Well, welcome to Pod Meets World. I'm Danielle Fishel. I'm Ryder Strong,
0: and I'm Will Friedle.
1: So today. We have another guest, a very exciting guest. Uh, We are going to be talking to Jeffrey C. Sherman. He was a writer and a producer from Boy Meets World who wrote a total of 14 episodes and was a producer on 66 episodes. He was also a story editor for 24 episodes. Again, we've talked about these uh, writing credits that... that
2: (laughs) you just
0: what What are they gonna mean
2: yeah what do
0: they <laughs> well, mean are it's you like, wearing it's a like shirt a little that says... bump. it's
2: a pay bump it's like a certain a certain, yeah. a, certain lo- a new authority over the other writers i guess, I guess mm. yeah. well do you do you have news for us
1: what well are you wearing a shirt that says best grandpa
0: best grandpa ever <laughs>
1: <laughs> what? do you have something you'd like to share with us
0: no i just imagined <laughs> i would be the best grandpa ever so i bought myself the t-shirt he's
2: he's cosplaying grandpa is there a problem with that i don't understand <laughs> it's a little bizarre well you problem. you just never i just Mine i adore you that, that weekend was intense oh, oh. and he got this shirt for me i went backpacking and when i came home he he had this shirt for me that's awesome <laughs> that's so cute but
1: you the, the a best grandpa
0: ever no, no i didn't think
1: so thank goodness you're not um <laughs> And so in season one, Jeff Sherman wrote On the Fence and The Fugitive. Yeah. So let's please welcome Jeff Sherman.
4: Hi, it's Bethany Frankel. My time on The Real Housewives of New York is a few years behind me. And now I'm ready to put the real back into The Real Housewives. That's where my new podcast, Rewives, comes in. This isn't your typical rewatch podcast. I'm watching only the most iconic episodes from all cities. I'm sharing never-before-heard stories of what happened behind the scenes. And I'm not just pulling in cast members for post-game analysis. I'm doing something a little more interesting. If you've ever seen an episode of The Real Housewives, you know the drill. But beyond throwing drinks and legs, there are lessons about marriage, divorce, friendship, money, parenting, and fame. If you have the right minds, analyze and dig deeper. So I'm bringing on unexpected thought leaders and celebrities to give their take on the chaos. This season, I sit down with Elizabeth Moss, Kevin Nealon, Susie Orman, Griffin Johnson, and more. You'd think that there isn't much to learn from flipping and yanking wigs, but that's where you're wrong. Listen to Rewives with Bethany Frankel on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
2: We talk a lot about moms on this podcast and how important they are to us.
1: Absolutely. Without Jen Fischel, what pictures would we post on our social media?
2: But above and beyond all the incredible mom things they did for us—laundry, dinners, let us travel to Los Angeles alone to chase our dreams of acting. Well, what else was your mom doing? Uh, my mom was also running all three courts
0: in Connecticut while authoring books. Wow.
2: Well, whether your mom
1: was a legal trailblazer or just the greatest source of inspiration and care in the world, this
2: Mother's Day, she deserves some flowers. You're right. And that's why I'm sending mine farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And while I'm teaching you things... How about 25% off your entire Books order so you can join us in treating our mothers to a beautiful arrangement?
1: Love it. Here's why I like the Books company. They are different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano.
0: That's really cool. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Your mom is unique, so she deserves
2: flowers just as special. And Books is simple. I went online, picked the delivery date, and I'm done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank
1: your mom. Order your Books now.
0: And with 25% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma.
1: Go to Books.com and use promo code WORLD for
2: 25% off. That's dot com promo code WORLD.
0: Books promo code WORLD. You'll know real when you get it. It'll
2: say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly.
1: When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by the experts.
0: Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication
2: experience. You can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com
0: for terms.
1: What if there was someone who wanted to help you find a job, not a website, but a person in your community that would help you for free? Choose Express Employment Professionals, and that's exactly what you'll get.
0: Express Employment Professionals is the local jobs expert you can trust, and they never charge a fee to help with your job search.
2: Go to expresspros.com to find the office near you or download the Express Jobs app to get started.
1: With a wide range of opportunities in a variety of industries, from welding to sales, forklift operator to customer service, the team at Express is ready to help you or someone you know take the next career step.
0: Whether you're looking for a contract job for the summer or a new full-time role, turn to Express Employment.
2: Interviewing with Express Employment professionals can be as easy as a phone call. And one application with Express puts you in the running for numerous opportunities in your community.
1: Don't go in your job search alone.
2: Visit ExpressPros.com today.
1: As a podcast focused on reliving memories from our past, I can tell you firsthand, as you get older, your memory just isn't as reliable
2: as it used to be. Yeah, if we didn't have Will here, there would be a lot of dead air.
0: (laughs) That is true, Robert. Well, guys, since I know you need a little help, you're going to love Legacy Box. It's the safest way to digitize your home videos and pictures, even when you think you don't have a way to watch them anymore.
3: Oh,
1: this is perfect, especially with Mother's Day right around the corner.
2: It really is the perfect gift for the whole family, whether it's a sweet 16 or college graduation. First steps or performing a Backstreet
0: Boys dance in between scenes on your childhood network sitcom. This is the way to reconnect with your history.
1: The process is so easy. You just fill your legacy box with old VHS or camcorder tapes, pictures, negatives, film reels. I mean, they even work with over 15
0: different types of analog media, so they have you covered. Then you just send the box back, and their team professionally digitizes everything by hand in the U.S., and you'll get it all back on the cloud or on a thumb drive, along with your originals.
2: I recently sent off my first box to Legacy Box, and I got into my old storage unit and found about 40 tapes, all different media, and I was able to label each one and send it off. I cannot wait to see what these tapes hold.
1: Jensen and I also recently got some of his home videos digitized, and being able to hear his parents' voices again has been a real gift.
0: So join over 1.5 million families that have trusted Legacy Box with their memories.
2: Go to legacybox.com/world to save sixty percent during their best Mother's Day sale ever. It's time to
0: connect with your past and make sure those memories are preserved properly.
2: That's legacybox.com/world.
1: There it is. How are
5: you? Good. So good to see you guys. So, so good, good to see, to see you. you. You look great. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, you too.
1: Jeff, let's go back to the beginning of your time on Boy Meets World. How did you become a writer on the show?
5: Well, I've been a screenwriter. I'd I'd written a couple of movies. I wrote something called Up the Creek um, for Orion Pictures. I wrote another movie I didn't get credit on, but thankfully because it sucked. But um, it was called called The Soldier. Uh, uh, That was my first gig. I did both of those with an old writing partner named Doug Grossman. Anyway, so I went along, and I, I, as Ryder will tell you, I've been listening, and I know you have the same frustrations. And Will and Will and I have gone through this together too. You write a lot of screenplays, and maybe one out of ten goes. So I was writing a lot of screenplays that were, you know, were for studios and different things, and I'd get eight drafts in or twelve drafts in, and then they go, well, you know, we've moved on from that, or the studio had a change. So I had a friend named Ann Johnson, AJ, if you remember AJ. Oh, of course Mm -hmm.
0: I remember AJ. She was awesome.
5: And she was the girlfriend of a good friend of mine, John McNamara, at the time. And she said she wrote a script of mine called Au Pair. I have three of them behind me here. Um, (laughs) And she said, you know, I work for this guy, Michael Jacobs. And I said, well, I don't really watch TV anymore. And she said, well, you should watch some of this stuff. He did My Two Dads. He does Dinosaurs right now. But he's got this new show, and I'd like to show him the script of yours, Au Pair, to see if, if you know, maybe it would interest him. I wasn't totally interested in television at the time. So um, anyway, so he gave it to Mike. She gave it to Michael. Michael loved it, tried to get it set up at Disney, and they didn't buy it. So he called me and he said, listen, I've got this new project that's called do you know uh, Fred Savage from, from uh, The Wonder Years? I said, yeah. They said, well, his younger brother, Ben, is sort of a rising star, and he's got a deal. So I developed a show around him called The Ben Savage Show, which I thought was uh, a Ben Savage pilot. I thought that was a very aptly name.
3: <laughs> and,
5: uh, so I watched it, and it kind of fit my sensibilities, because I'd done a lot of youth comedy movies and things like that, screenplays. And, and it, it, the character kind of reminded me of me as a kid a little bit. Um, the Jewish kid in a non-Jewish family. Uh, oh, by the way, Shalom, Will, I heard the part of Jewish. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Um,
0: Thank you. I'm very honored. So uh, so Michael
5: said, uh, he called me and he said, would you like to maybe work on this? So I said, well, I don't know. He showed me the pilot. It was good and read the script. So I said, yeah, yeah maybe. He said, well, you know, if I bring you in, I have to bring you in at the lowest um, level of staff, which is something called a term writer. And a term writer means you don't get credit on a, on the show, every show, even though you're sitting in the room and pitching, you're doing everything everybody else. Now, i had gone to UCLA film school. I was an English major prior to that at Berkeley. I was a writer. I'd, I'd worked with Madonna. I'd worked with – I'd done all this stuff, and I come in on the lowest writer on the totem pole <laughs> in this room, right? And I've never worked on staff. I think I'm about um, mid-30s at this time. So I would had all this experience, and I knew how to do basically all the stuff that you do on a show. Um, so Michael liked that about me. He said, if, if you're good on the staff, I'll move you up quickly. Anyway, the first day I'm walking in, it's at Disney Studios. Now, I grew up on that lot. As I mentioned, my, my father and uncle are the Sherman brothers who wrote a lot of the scores for Disney, Mary Poppins, Jungle Book, um, Winnie I the Pooh. It. They yes. did Chitty, Chitty Bang Bang elsewhere. Anyway, so I lived on this lot. I, I, I grew up there. So I'm walking across, and I see this buddy of mine who works in TV. He's very uh, wry and s- sarcastic, and uh, his name's Richard Day. We used to be poker players together playing in game. <laughs> and we're walking up, and I said, I'm a little nervous about this because I've never really written on staff. What should I expect? He goes, oh, it can be brutal. He's walking <laughs> me up to the thing. He goes, it just sort of depends on the people that are in the room and if it's going to be nice. And So we walk into the animation building, which is where we all you know, began yeah. working on that show and we're walking up the stairs and he keeps going on all this stuff and if you remember there were glass doors in the hallway that looked into michael's wing yes So we look in and all the writers are kind of gathered there and we go he said so anyway it'll probably be fine he looks in the door my friend richard he goes oh they look horrible man good luck (laughs) (laughs) so i went in not knowing really what to expect but um it was uh, it was like walking into probably one of the best parts of my life Um, Mm. and uh uh, it was weird because I think I had you know I was such a TV addict as a kid I I watched everything my my childhood watching family shows was like and it kind of shows in what I wrote Um, it was Dennis the menace leave it to beaver you know the the Donna Reed show father knows best those that was my era I'm a little bit older than you got (laughs) so when when I saw there was a fence and there was the annoyed guy over the fence, and then there's this young kid. I kept thinking of Dennis the Menace. And if you ever saw Dennis, the Menace, he always would walk up and go, "Hey, Mr. Wilson!" Yeah, it startled him all the time. So I tried to do that with Feeney and Ben in that first episode I wrote, which was the uh, the squirt gun show that uh, on the fence,
1: on the fence, yeah. yeah. And uh, I
5: have a couple answers for you guys before we go anything else. I've been listening. I have some things yes. straight for you. I think I'm going to solve a lot of your angst, Okay. First of all, it's a side. It's a side patio. Okay. The, the problem is we you know when you shoot a show uh basically what you do is you build the set and then you send out a crew to find a location house that you shoot for the exteriors now that exterior house is right across from radford as you guys yeah, yeah. i used to pass it every day on my walks so the house was a really perfect kind of looking house but it didn't configure with what we built on the set so there was never the backyard was supposed to be behind that window in the living room. That was okay. the backyard. It's an Escher house. There's no real way to explain it, <laughs> but that's a side yard.
1: All right, There's then, no why, then why was it written in the script as a backyard, and why no. does why does it why is it opposite the front door?
5: Because it's it's a sitcom. See, listen, you know, Mr. <laughs> he was a history Teacher. He was an English teacher. I'm sure he probably taught ballet at some point in the show when I wasn't watching anymore. But it yeah. was just kind of. You know, it's it things it's an abstract. It's like jazz music. Mm-hmm. It just kinda of fits where you know, this week we need a little history infusion of something, or we need the Scarlet Letter, or we need the right. girl in or so I'm not saying anything catch all. Did that? you guys
2: actually
0: say anything? I didn't say anything about the side yard backyard debate that was just answered correctly, by the way. I was just but, amazed.
2: I'm, I'm, I I'm sure the side yard backyard never actually came up, but did the question of like what Feeney is teaching actually come up? And did oh, you yeah. just say that you said like, oh, it doesn't matter. We're just going to focus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but the idea was we, that he, we, they were in, they were in, we were in a grade where we were supposed to have multiple teachers, right? Or was the idea that he was our yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. You would have had multiple teachers, but we also right. had 12 kids in class or
5: something. So I mean, it's like, yeah. there's sort of a, it's, you Know it's it's like sitcoms are closer to a play than they are to a movie, yeah, totally. Um, totally. so you know, in a play, you know, you don't have you're not having panning shots, you know, yeah. you kind of accept that that's what the the conceit is, is that totally, you know, there's a few people, and and uh, and uh, you know, and and it's a side, it's a side right. patty. The other thing I'm going to straighten <laughs> out for you right now, Danielle. Yeah, <laughs> here's the real story of how Topanga came to be. It's it's so much to do about nothing, but anyway, so it's 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 not a simple answer. But the answer was Michael was not in his car driving. He remembers things sort of the way he likes to remember things. Um, <laughs> but we were all sitting in the room and we pitched that it'd be funny because Ben was sort of a square kid to yeah. have sort of a hippie girl come in and be spiritual and do all this. So that was brought up and. So we all were talking and we finally came up on this character and, and everybody was going, well, what should we name? We should name her Star String Moon Pilot or, you know, these stupid <laughs> name. And I was just going nuts because uh, that was my era. You know, I grew up in that. I grew up in. I was the writer that grew up in L.A. of the people in the room. So I thought, who did I know that was cool? And I thought of three girls that I knew that lived in Topanga Canyon so i went you know growing up out here you know everybody that was cool was you know grew up in topanga michael goes topanga april kelly who was the other creator of the show she she didn't like it at all but michael was set on it he loved to I, I i was just i think i also pitched to and topanga those were my two
1: to canyon and S- topanga canyon yeah so why not L- Cowanga?
5: <laughs> it could have been yeah and cold uh, water cold, cold cold water would have been a little too on the head <laughs> yeah um uh, but so we uh, um, we went around, and then April wanted to stand her ground. That day had been pitching us an outside writer named Bill Lawrence. Mm. So she said, "How about Lawrence?" Because it's such a funny thing to go from Topanga to normally normal name like Lawrence. Okay. Okay. And two more components added into Topanga. Okay. The first one was Susan Jansen, who was on staff and who was a brilliant writer. You know, she just wonderful, and she was a very strong voice, very smart. Very, she was very much uh, the the voice of Topanga in that room, when we would pitch things out. And then the the biggest component of all was Danielle, because Danielle came in, and I remember I, I heard your thing about the the horrible experience you had, and I and I get it. And I, I feel horrible about that. I remember it vividly, and I felt bad for you. Um, but you came in, and you were so kind of nervous that you were kind of just zipping through everything. Yes, and, and absolutely. This, it had, in the audition for us—it was sort of it, it, the nerves were getting to you. And Michael, you know, it's it's hard for a guy who's do if if you've ever run a show. I've come. To, I've been a co EP on a show, I, I've run an, I ran another show called uh, uh, Family Rules when my boss was away in Connecticut. And it's hard because you're not just working on the script, you're working on the last, proj- the last episode, the next episode, you're working on casting, you're working on mixing, you're working on cutting, you're working on all this stuff. And the pressures of all that got to Michael sometimes. And sometimes he, would ju- he did it with everybody. He, I, I, I explained Michael as a, uh, a guy that liked to scream because it was funny. I never was scared of him. He would, you know, he would scream, you would hear him, Gerald, you know, down the hall in the office, and you would hear him, but it was just a guy running a ship and trying to, trying to get, a, a, a buddy of mine, Phil Rosenthal, who created and ran uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, yeah. had a saying, it's not summer camp.
3: Mm-hmm. And
5: unfortunately, when you come on to a show, you know, you might get, there's no time to really worry about it. You, you might get replaced, you might get, you know more lines, you, and what amazed me about this—I know I'm jumping around for you guys—but we would change things for you, and I—I I have the worst memory; I can't remember anything. We would give you blocking and line changes on the set, on tape, yeah. and you did it perfectly. I never remember you guys messing anything up.
3: Yeah, so we well, were
5: really, we were really blessed having you guys. That's
0: yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I get—I get the thing about about yelling, and it's kind of yelling to be funny, but you take it different at 13 than you do at 30. So, you know, it's, that's, that's the thing that, that where, where you get thrown, you hear an adult yelling and it means something's bad, Mm -hmm. you know? So we, we, I I think we, we did not yet have the subtlety to realize that it was all bark and no bite. Mm -hmm. Um, You you just heard the loud bark. So it was, um, yeah. So I, I, now I have a couple questions about going back even farther Mm -hmm. because, you know, you know, we've been friends for years and years and years. And some of the most interesting stories you told me, because you have a, a, a different perspective. We talk about being child actors and growing up in the industry and that kind of thing. But you grew up old school Hollywood in Beverly Hills. Yeah. So, I mean, tell us some of the stories about I mean, what was that like growing up in the 70s, 60s and 70s in old school Hollywood, Beverly Hills? I mean, what is that like?
5: So, you know, I wasn't actually born in Beverly. My dad uh, got hired by Walt Disney himself in about 1959, 1960. And we were like the hillbillies. We went over the hill where the grass grew and we went into Beverly Hills. My, My dad, actually my dad brought us all over without telling us anything. And it was just me and my older sister at that point. Um, and I think my little sister might have been born. She was a baby. My dad drove us into this in front of this house, and there was a for sale sign with sold over it. And he held up keys and he said, If we lived here, we'd be home now. Wow. And my mom looked at him and she, you know, it's a house in Beverly Hills, kind of cool. Yeah. And she goes, You bought a house without asking me? <laughs> yeah, so that's how it, it. that's
3: how <laughs>
5: but, but on our street, for instance, yeah, I I you know, I I grew up around. Uh, kids of actors, kids of directors, uh, you know, Vincent Minnelli lived two houses up from me. Shirley Jones on another house we lived in, lived up the street. I was in a band with Sean Cassidy and Jamie mm. Lee Curtis. I mean, those were kind of, that was my world. Um, wow. And, you know, we had the best PTA shows, I got to say, because I <laughs> would write songs for them. Uh, they'd have a big director. They'd have Arnie Rosen, who was writing the Carol Burnett show, and he'd write them. And then we'd have like Donna Reed, Mary Tyler Moore, and... You name it. that was our cast, so it was like standing room only just to come to PTA shows. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, it it what it did for me. I think also my grandfather Al Sherman was a Tin Pan Alley songwriter back east. He wrote. He was one of the top ten Tin Pan Alley songwriters. He teamed up the Gershwin brothers. There's a lot to all that stuff. But I grew up in this world where it was sort of second nature. I grew up going to sound stages. And recording studios. In fact, stage two. I, I heard Chris Kyer talking about it. Stage two, where we shot "Boy Meets the World" the first two years. That was Cherry Tree Lane for Mary Poppins. Yeah. So I think isn't that the Julie Andrews stage now or something? I think they did they name it that. Did they? That yeah, makes, it, sense. It, makes sense. Makes sense. They yeah. dedicated another stage a couple of years ago to my dad and uncle. It's called the Sherman Brothers stage. There, it's the one oh. right across from the commissary. That's so, so it's, cool. I kind of grew up and all that. And what it did was it movie stars and directors and I, I i just looked at them as people and i'm fascinated by them and so there, i always looked at them not not that i'm aggrandizing myself but as peers like I, I wanted to know more about them which is probably why in a sense of the writers on staff i probably got to know all you guys better than a lot of the people because i'm just more comfortable swimming in those waters
3: right so that's, that's
5: really what it afforded me and and Watching my dad have his ups and downs, um, which he had very big ups and downs. He was bipolar. Um, Mm. But um, uh, it also trained me to have a little bit more uh, fortitude in the business, which you definitely need, as we all know. Yeah. You just have to, you know, I saw my dad get shot down. He had a a, 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 in his office, he had a, a poster and it said, the great corpse of our work.
4: And they hmm. would never
5: a project would die, they'd add it on to this. It was this long list of things. Wow. So I kind of learned that don't worry about the negative things. Lift up the positive things. Go for that. Which is why I look at Boy Meets World now still. It's like uh, we all have our beefs about different aspects of the show and people that were there. But, you know, at 65 years old now, I look back, and to me, it opened this door to television and to a whole beautiful, cool way of, of – of having immediate gratification after writing screenplays for four years. And they yeah. died. I would yeah. write a script. I'd walk down three days later and they built the swing set, you know, like mm. whatever that new set was going to be. It's such a beautiful thing. And, and the person who let me in was Michael. So.
0: Okay, wait. So I have to ask, and I know you've told this story before, but it's one of my favorite stories ever. And it just shows the magic of the world that you grew up in. You said you grew up around Walt Disney. Can you tell the story about, uh, Disney taking you around himself.
5: Yeah, so dad, you know, working for Disney, he would sort of test stuff out on my, me and my older sister. And uh, so he came home. He'd gotten the if you if you see the documentary my cousin and I made called "The Boys: The Sherman Brothers Story" about our dads about the Sherman Brothers. Um, my, Disney on their like third meeting handed them the red Mary Poppins book. So dad came home and he read it, and my uncle Dick read it. And my dad read us the story and had our responses to it. So we told him what we thought each night we'd read another chapter. And then um, so he he came back and, you know, the movie started going after a couple of years. And I I heard all the demos and all that. I'd see drawings and I'd see all this kind of stuff. My dad would talk about it. and I was a dumb kid. So my dad said, we have wizards and magicians working all night and day at the studio, getting this all together. There's going to be all this magic. So I begged him, I said, can I please come see this? So one day, I meet kid, I'm like five years old. He takes me out of class. And I don't go to school. I just go with him to the work and take your kid to work there. And we go to Disney Studios where we shot for the first two years. And every soundstage on that studio at the time was devoted to Mary Poppins. Everybody thinks that Mary Poppins was shot in England. It was all shot in Burbank, California, on soundstage. <laughs> so one stage you'd walk into, like stage two, was Cherry Tree Lane, which was actually amazing. It was we only used half the stage. It was the full stage, and it was amazing. They built the steamship for uh, for Disneyland there in that room. it's Wow. A, it's a wow. Huge cool. And then um, but another stage would be the merry-go-round horses against a the yellow. They used to shoot against a yellow screen. And uh, so I've seen all this, but I'm a little kid, five years old, I've heard about magicians and wizards. And <laughs> there, all I see are guys with their pants halfway down their butt. <laughs> and <laughs> and dust. And, and so like, it's, it's you know, so I walked around with my dad. And the main thing of the studio was in the commissary, they used to have an executive dining room there called the Coral Room. Mm -hmm. only disney and and the main you know executives and my dad and the writers would eat in that room i love that place because they had the best tuna sandwiches in the world so um i couldn't that's all i could think about was the tuna sandwich and i walk in with my dad i'm holding his hand and disney's there and i've met him about five times and so he sees me and disney had an amazing knack of remembering not only every employee's name but their kids if you knew them well enough so he me. so he sees me so two guys that look like bankers and he says so, Jeffrey, he says, I hear you. Take a look at our sets today for Mary Poppins. What would you think? And I'm holding my dad's hand. And I said, ah, they're okay, I guess. And I feel my dad's <laughs> hand go limp. And I look up at him. It's like, he's like, just, and Disney looks at me like, what? And the two guys with so Disney says, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. He goes, do you come with me. He ditched his guys. He took my hand and he walked me over to the closest sound stage, which was the rooftops of London, where they shot Step in Time. At mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm looking and he turns on work lights and the guy's hammering, he says, hold, hold the work. And he says, so what do you, so what's wrong with this? I said, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Z, I just don't think anybody's going to believe it. And I see his face again, <laughs> I think I'm never getting invited to Disneyland again. <laughs> and he's like, I had the greatest artists go to England and draw pictures and this is exactly what a rooftop looks like and I said, but Mr. Disney, it's right here on the ground and it's supposed to be on the roof. And he looked at me like I was the dumbest child he'd ever been in, in contact with. And he smiled, and he got down on his knees and put his hands like that. He said, this is what a camera sees. This is called movie magic. No one's ever going to know that that's not that that's on the ground. This is all they're going to see. And uh, so that's movie magic, and you can never tell your friends. So he takes me back, and I'm going, like, my mind – that's why he's one of my heroes. My mind starts going, like, oh, my gosh, you can, like – Fake stuff and makes oh yeah. it I just opened some big door. He walks me back. My dad's having a scotch like this at the table <laughs> with the writers. He thinks he's getting fired. Disney whispers to my dad. He starts laughing. They talk. It goes around the table. So I'm the idiot at the table with a great tuna sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> that was my Walt Disney taking me around story. I but love. I almost that got my dad too. fired.
3: Wow. <laughs> That's, story. That's I a knew, great. You story. knew Walt
0: Disney. I love that story.
5: Yeah. Oh my.
0: And with 25% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma.
1: Go to books.com and use promo code world
2: for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com promo code world.
0: Books promo code world. You'll know real when you get
2: it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh... Visit ExpressPros.com today. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers.
1: Listen, Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes,
2: and so do their tushies. Especially when they start really moving. With Huggies Little Movers, you get their best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit.
1: That's right. So no matter what kind of mover you've got, they'll feel protected and comfy while their little tushy wiggles and
0: jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers has curves designed to fit all baby curves, And helps provide up to 12-hour protection against leaks.
2: So, make the switch to Huggy's Little Movers today. We got you, baby. Hey, everyone.
0: I'm Will Friedle, also known as the voice behind Ron Stoppable.
6: Hey, and I'm Christy Carlson Romano, also known as the voice behind Kim Possible.
0: And we have teamed up again, but this time as the hosts of I Hear Voices.
6: Have you ever wanted to go behind the scenes of your favorite cartoons, video games, and animated movies? If so, we have the podcast for you.
0: Every week, we're going to be talking to the biggest stars of voiceover like Alan Tudyk, Yvette Nicole Brown, Steve Downs, Dietrich Bader, and even reuniting with our Kim Possible co-star, Taj Mori.
6: They tell us everything from how they got started to things we didn't even know about some of our favorite animated characters.
0: You're also going to hear about new shows, games, and movies from all of these actors who bring them to life.
6: So if you want to laugh, learn, and hear someone launch into characters like Bugs Bunny and Batman all in the same episode, then this is the podcast for you.
0: Download the free iHeartRadio app and check out the I hear Voices podcast today. It's free, and you can even listen offline.
6: Discover music, radio, and podcasts you'll love, especially ours.
1: Going back to your time on Boy Meets World, what was it like writing for Bill Daniels?
5: Oh, man. That, that voice is just so magical, and, and, and his history in and, and, and the business is so great that I just always wanted to build. I, I have a lot of Bill scenes, a lot of... A lot of um, uh, things. The, the, the funny one was that we did that one on uh, school vandalism. Mm-hmm. You remember that? And, oh, I, wow. I, and so this is about third or fourth year, maybe third year I was on. And uh, so I, I do this and I decided I'm going to write Bill the greatest monologue. I would just want to, you know, he always gets a little scene and then he's off to Montecito, you know, and I said, but I want to see him do a really, I want to to get a Bill Daniels monologue. So we're at the table read and Bill's I'm all excited. This is so cool. So he reads this, this, like it's like a page long. And afterward, I'm so, I think he's going to come up and give me a hug. And he walks up to me and goes, Sherman, too damn many words. He <laughs> <laughs> that works. Yeah. Hey, I,
0: I have a question for you. You said that. So Susan Estelle Jansen was kind of the voice of Topanga. Who was the voice
5: of Bill in the room? Well, you know, you guys don't know. It was so funny because one time you guys came up to the room and it's, it's like it's like looking at the sun when your actors come up. Because we, we have stuff on the board. Yeah. Give more, give more to Sean, you know. Yeah. Uh, right. make a funny scene for Will with, you know, with <laughs> you know, we have all this stuff we don't want you really to know what our little thing is. Um, but, you know, you would come up there.
0: Yeah, but Um, Jeff, I got to be honest, if you get down on one knee and you look at the writers like this, (laughs) it's just movie magic and no one believes it anyway, so you don't have to worry about it. You're good.
5: Speaking of memory, what was your question again? (laughs) Who Who was was... the voice of Bill in the writing? Oh, yes. Okay, so what we would do is we would, the writers, you would, I can go through the whole process of the writing. You pitch stories and then sometimes I would pitch stories other writers would get. It's all just a pool of ideas. And I would usually be Ryder yeah. and Bill because we didn't have as many people in the room. So I, I was kind of the voice of Sean in that spot. But I would, I would do Bill Daniels. And I would, I would kind of do him <laughs> a little bit to kind of get the rhythm. Um, but, uh, you know, it, Bill was a, an amalgam of a lot of things. You know, ultimately, anything that comes through on uh, Boy Meets World came through the pencil of Michael Jacobs. Whatever it was, mm-hmm. he filtered. So, really, he is responsible for everything, um, you know, that went up there. But, um, uh, you know, it was it was uh, things that would always give. I was scared at first. I don't, you know, you, you become proprietorial as a writer, I guess. And you and I was so used to just writing things and they would make them or they wouldn't make them. But now I'm coming in and they go, that's great. Michael would go, this is a great script. I'm not changing a word. Flip it over and start writing in pencil on the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Page one, <laughs> he, line one. just kind of. You check your ego at the door and you learn that it's kind of a wonderful process uh, being on staff because first of all it's really fun if it's not too political every now and you know i I was on it four and a half years on boy um uh some years it was great uh april made it very political the first year she was very political because she was having sort of a, a silent war with michael about the power of the show i think and i was on the michael camp um so uh, um,
1: yeah, she wanted that guy Bill Lawrence. I wonder what he ever went on to do. I yeah,
5: <laughs> He's a, I, I went up. To, I, I went to a writer's guild. Um, oh, poor Bill. Uh, he he came in. He was a really young writer. He came in. He was very good. But it's impossible to walk into a writer's room and know what we've been talking about for months. Yeah, you know, we've pitched that idea. We've we've had this. No, you can't do that because we've already set up this rule. Right. So he Came in with a script that was good. And he was a sweetheart. He was really nice. I was there when he pitched, you know, I would be in the, in the pitches the, for the outside writers. And the night of the show came the taping. And Bill comes in, and I see him, I said, hey, congratulations, this is great, you know, you got one of the two outside scripts this year. And he's with a couple of friends, he goes, hey man, could I, could I possibly get a copy of the script? I'd like to see what's going on. I said, sure. Now, he had not been involved in the writer's room, and Michael had a policy not to bring outside writers in to the room, because it would stop things, and you never know if they're going to get, you know, stop the flow of things. So I get one of the stage scripts and I hand it to Bill and I see Bill, he sees his name, he shows it to his friends and then he opens the first page and he looks at it like he's looking at Chinese Mm. and he goes to the second page and he goes to the third page and it's like, we changed everything. I mean, you know, and that happened to all of us, you know, but he didn't know that because he wasn't in the room. I mean, things change a lot. Um, and I felt so sorry for him because I just saw him. He brought his friends. It's like you know, it's like you come to a movie premiere and you're going want to show him your scene and you've been cut out. That's kind yeah. of yeah. What... So I I was at a writers guild thing and he was speaking and I walked up. I said, I have to explain. I'm so sorry. And I watched your face and I I felt terrible and I didn't see you afterward. I just want you know, you know this now because you run shows. This happens to everybody. Right? Yeah. I know it now. He goes, but boy, it sure hurt back then. I thought I knew <laughs> yeah. it. But, you know, but he's yeah. the, he's he's a done he's OK done for right. himself. He's yeah, right. he's
1: he's easily the most successful person to ever have their name attached to Boy Meets World. So kudos <laughs> to him. Um, so um, let's talk about The Fugitive. Oh
2: Yes. This
1: we have to give you credit because we talked about the episode. We watched it. We talked about it. And it is among like all seven seasons, it is one of the most important episodes of Boy Meets World just ever. It is so good. It's such a great writer showcase. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: It cements Sean. It totally cements the character of Sean, I mean, from that moment on.
1: But it also really is the perfect episode to represent what Boy Meets World was so good at, which is such a, a true great lesson about the ben like what friends and family are supposed to do for each other. And yet for 75% of the episode, it feels like hijinks. And then <laughs> when you walk away from it, you get this very important lesson. Um, yeah. And so that's one of the things Boy Meets World was best at. And I would, dare I say, this episode is maybe the best representation of that. So talk mm-hmm. to us about the process of The Fugitive.
5: So The Fugitive, you know, I become really friendly with, with Ryder partly because he, did something wonderful, which he didn't even know he did. I, we've talked about it since, but yeah. I'm low man on the totem pole in this room with, I don't know, 12 writers. And Michael's the boss, and April hates me, and and all these different, all this stuff's going on. And one day, Ryder comes up to our writer's room, and he said, hey, i, I got to write a paper and uh, uh for my class here and uh, i wanted to get one of the writers and michael starts standing up and writer goes i'd like to talk to jeff sherman if i could pull him up a little bit <laughs> i was hated from that moment on in that room because you <laughs> know it was and I, I loved it you know because writer and i would talk about writing a lot so it yeah was, uh, that's why he wanted to talk to me so anyway so i got to know ryder and i kept thinking we've got this actor on the show and well hysterical danielle's Amazing, Ben is just incredible every man. And here's this this James Dean on our on our show, who who people aren't capitalizing. You know, if he's given a couple of lines, he's the fun. Uh, I said I want to do something where it changes. So, um, and I'd had a sister who ran away from home. Oh wow! So, uh, so um, got into drugs and all that stuff. So I'm sorry. I thought here's this important show. And what can we do? They're little kids. Kids run away. I, I ran away once when I was a kid. I got to the door. I packed a big lunch, and I stood by the front door. My mom used to tell this all the time at dinner parties and would embarrass me. And I'm standing by the door, and my mom says, I thought you were going to run away. I said, well, I need somebody to drive me. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> kid logic. Yeah.
3: yeah.
5: So, which I heard about until she passed away. So, um, <laughs> But uh, um, anyway, so I thought I would do this. and Yeah. So I write the show, and that is compounded because this is my last guaranteed show. I was guaranteed two episodes, and April was gunning for me. She wanted me to be kicked off the staff. She wanted to bring in either Bill Lawrence or, or uh, uh, Jeanette, I think her name was, her assistant, the writer's assistant, Janelle or Jeanette. So um, I'm writing and I'm doing all this, and I... I'm all nighters getting this thing right. And I told Michael, I said, he said, don't make it serious all the way through. It's gotta be fun and all this stuff. And then we get real heavy three quarters of the way through, you can do that. If you want to do these kind of shows we can't turn the audience off in the beginning, we got to hook them in and then get there.
4: So yeah. I said, okay,
5: that's not a problem. So I write this thing I'm writing and it's the, I'm, I'm doing a last draft of it. And it's about, I don't know, 3.30 in the morning and my house explodes. And the earthquake hit. Oh. All right. And this was my episode. Thank you. Um, Wait, so you
1: were actually writing I was, when the earthquake I was hit? Which, by the way, the I think it was like 4 a.m. Yeah, yeah, 4 something like, in the morning. I was
5: printing my last script out, which the writer's assistant was going to come get, make copies, and it was going. Yeah. So, I, I, and, I, like, everything's out. And I, I don't know what's going on. I think it's, I'm in Van Nuys. I'm, like, right near the epicenter. Yeah. And so, the only light on in my house because I was printing the script out, I had a backup battery on my computer, and my monitor was swinging like this, so I just Whoa. see like light like this and for some reason, the phones worked, and about half an hour later, my phone rings, and it's Arlene Grace and our wonderful I yes. love, her.
1: yes, rest um, in peace, Arlene. We've talked about her,
5: and uh sorry, we feel the same way,
1: yeah, so.
5: She said, "Sherman, are you live?" I said, "Yeah." She goes, "Great. Did you finish your script?" I said, "Are you talking about?" She goes, "I'm sending the writer's assistant over." I said, "Is there are there streets?" I mean, it really felt like a bomb fell. Yeah, I don't remember, remember all that?
1: It was, it was a, a loud earthquake. earthquake. Yes, and I had the script.
5: It was kind of all over my floor, and I picked it up and put it in an order. She said, "There'll be something there in about twenty minutes to pick it up." I said, "Are we working?" She goes, "Yeah, we're having the table read, and you know, come." I'm like, "Oh my god." <laughs> so this is like she goes, we got a show to do. I mean, this is yeah. show. So the show must I, go on. I got oh my, my strip. I come down. We had been doing our table reads, if you remember, in that Hyperion building that was mm-hmm. Walt Disney's original office, that little bungalow that was toward yep. the edge. Of Instead, now because that they weren't sure if that was safe, they put us for some reason on the sound stage.
1: Yeah. yeah.
5: Arlene walks onto the stage wearing a hard hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Commences to give a 20-minute, it like felt, felt like four hours, yes. take <laughs> the instruction. If there's an I remember shop, this. Oh, my God. She, she looks at so me and says, you'll notice the lights are all... The stage lights were above us. And, like, oh. and then yes. she goes, okay, and the future <laughs>
2: by picture <laughs> and <laughs> comedy. Oh my God. Yeah, what a way to chill the room. Oh, it was. I remember just sitting there being so nervous, like shaking. Oh, and, just and like, they were in yeah. that cavernous room. So every line
0: you're awful. throwing out is just being lost in the, the thing, void. Not and allowed. It
5: was, not allowed. Not allowed. No. As the writer with your name on the script, even though, you know, I'm like, oh my God.
1: Where did you go when you left Boy Meets World? What did you go do? And then also, I want to talk to you about what it is you're doing now.
5: Mm-hmm. Well, the fourth year came up. I, I only was contracted for three years. They had three year contracts. And okay. it was at their will. Like they had to accept me every year. So the first year, I got two episodes. The second year, I got three episodes. The se- third year, I got uh, four. And the last year I was there, I wrote five of the 21 or 22 episodes.
1: Wow. So
5: yeah. And so I, I was known as a good, strong draft writer and I could do all that. But I still felt, you know, like, and, and, okay, so what happened on that fourth year was Michael was going to do a couple other shows and he said to, came to my office and said, "Close the door, he said, "Sherm, sure, I'm thinking of having you run the show next year. And I said, I'd love to. He goes, you think you're ready? I said, yeah, I, I could do this. So I was all set to do it. And Bloodman and Bus Gang had um, gotten another gig on another show. Mm -hmm. and I uh, So and they were one step above me on staff so um, I I was all set to do that and then Michael came back and they left that show early they were only on that for a couple and they wanted to come back and Michael said well Sherm I think I might give it to them instead and I was a little pissed off you know because I was Mm -hmm. all set to do it and I was preparing for it so I was offered a couple other shows and um, and then Michael said, I've got this other show. One of the shows I'm doing is this magic genie show called You Wish. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm still tired from that. Uh, so, which, which
0: is the correct answer to the question uh, Was this show awesome? Yeah. You wish.
5: <laughs> so we, we did that. And for the three people I think that tuned in for that show, it was pretty horrible. But I was, Michael gave me almost double my salary and made me a co executive producer on that. That's right. So I had kids and I went, okay, I'm taking the money. I don't really like the show, but I'll go do it. I can make it work. So That's I was
0: a good ready. opportunity. You gotta take it.
5: So uh no audience, deadly. We had cows on the set that it would crap on the set and smell it <laughs> for sounds it great. Just, like you know, you, you see these magic shows of genie goes like that, and the cow appears. That cow stayed for a couple weeks, <laughs> Oh my god. Um,
2: I remember visiting you on that set because you guys shot at a stage like on the same lot. I feel like yeah, yeah. We yeah were so done. I remember walking over and seeing you, and you were just miserable. <laughs> like I remember, you were, you were like telling me at whatever at the age of fifteen, you're like, "This is not fun." <laughs> you were just, I just, you were so stressed out. I don't think you were sleeping. It was awful. No. But I just,
6: want to, I just
5: want to say, for a writer, the greatest gift is is you hear things in your head when you're writing and you guys have all done it, you know? Um, and you just hope that it'll be half as good when you hear it like you guys did. Yeah. Hmm. So
1: thank you. It's a very
5: special thing.
1: Thank you. Where can we find you now? What are you working on? Tell our audience who wants to know what you're up to where we can find you
5: Uh, doing a bunch of things. Um, I, uh, I started, my, my cousin and I, who did the documentary about my dad with, uh, Greg, um, he and I got together. We, we've started a new company with the former head of Disney Music. um, cool. A fellow named Mitchell Lieb, who you guys may have encountered in your journeys there. He was there for 30 years. Wow. And Mitchell and Greg and I have teamed up to do some Sherman Brothers related projects. We're going to do a concert series around the world. We have this amazing director who does like Cirque du Soleil looking things. It's fascinating. So that's going to be one thing. And the great thing for me is like, that's easy. Okay, here, you know, I'll tell you the songs to do. It's, I don't have to go do too much. We're going to do a biopic about the generations of our families.
1: Mm, uh, great. It's
5: sort of like the Godfather 2 with the different generations. <laughs> my grandfather's time in Timpan Alley and my dad and uncle's time rising up on Vine Street and then, you know, going into... To the movies and stage and all that stuff. And, you know, their their lives. Um, So that's one of the things I'm doing. Um, I'm also writing a science fiction um, series with my first best friend in the world, David Titcher. David's created a bunch of shows before. We've had parallel careers. We grew up on the same little street when we were kids before I moved to Beverly Hills. And he went to UCLA Film School when I went there. So we've touched and we've talked for years about doing something. So we're both working on that.
3: Good. And I've been writing a
5: lot of music. Um, I've always written music, so now I've been putting out just sort of self-putting out some some albums because people ask to hear them. And I have I have to put on glasses and look at my sites. But if people want to find me, yeah. my Twitter account
3: sure. is
5: J S H E R, followed by five eights on Twitter. So it's Sher 88888, <laughs> long story. Uh, my music is at Jeffrey C Sherman here now.com and my latest album that came out is called respite it's not it's just musical compositions there are no lyrics it's just the stuff i've composed oh, that's and, so cool i can't wait how to how fun that, right? and then uh on facebook i'm jeffrey period sherman period three so both of you who want to find me <laughs> uh, but, uh but there's, there's a, a bunch of stuff we're, I, I'm doing aside from that, but I'm writing a book, uh, a lot of stories about my life, these the Disney stories and the, yeah. the, my own personal journeys and stuff like that. And my book's called Spiraling Upward, which will probably come out next year.
3: Great. And, then,
5: uh, and listening to your podcast and taking lots of <laughs> nice speech walks and just enjoying living back through those days with you guys. And I, I love you all.
1: We love mm-hmm. you too. Thank you oh, yeah. so much for being here Thanks with for us. Being with
3: Jeff.
5: Okay, right. take care, guys. Thanks for having Bye, me. Jeff.
3: Bye. Of course, Thank you for being you. here. Bye-bye.
2: You know, it's funny. We've talked about how we shot on stage two, which is like such a big stage, because uh, it was a giant, you know, film set, film stage. To this day, when I walk onto any normal sized sound stage, I'm like, it's really small. Just I tiny here. Think this is tiny. the I, same. Don't you? Thing. I always expect sound stages to be gigantic and to have all this empty space, which of course they shouldn't. Like you you want yeah. for for sound for one, you want it, you know better enclose uh, smaller spaces, but in my mind, I have been completely programmed to think every sound stage is tiny because it's not stage 2 at Disney. It's so funny.
1: I know. I feel the exact same way. Yeah. I always think, "Wow, it's too bad they have such a small stage." Well, they're yes. making it work for such yeah. a small I, stage. I'm they're waking, really making cram- it work. I'm we like,
2: feel like we're like having to hide around corners. Like, why don't we have more space? <laughs> because like that's atypical. <laughs> so yep. funny.
1: Yeah. yeah. Why don't Why don't the kids have to walk seventeen minutes to get to school? <laughs> to
0: get
2: to school. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: my! It was God, such a fun so... lot, though. That was a fun. Was that was a like a college love. campus. That was a really fun lot to be. I on.
1: know. I like, do yeah. miss the commissary. This. That's a weird thing. But I mean, I always talk about food. But I loved that commissary. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, the squirrels. Disney. The squirrels the squ- like
0: you're on a Disney lot. The squirrels are exactly like you think you would. You'd sit down and hold yes, out your hand, fearless. and they'd run over and eat out of your hand.
1: Yeah, they would no run joke.
3: up my crawl
0: hip. Up I, you put your right. leg, yeah, yep. they
1: crawl up your leg. You know, you would yeah. sit on the bench, you stick your leg out, they crawl up. They eat, what is that still up. the
2: case? Is that still the case at Disney? I, I mean, they're still there. While,
1: so. I haven't tried to have one crawl up my leg as an <laughs> you adult. Should. Oh, next time I'm there, I'll try. But um,
2: okay, they, there <laughs> the are still lots of spoils next week is gonna be by a squirrel. Mauled by a squirrel. By a squirrel. <laughs> Danielle Fishel <laughs> lost three <laughs> fingers too. <laughs> I can't. I love Jeff's stories, man. I feel like we just scratched the surface. Like he, we didn't I even know. get into uh, uh, just a spoonful of sugar. Oh, yeah. to go down. the fact that that was based on him coming him. home from school getting yeah, polio vaccine the polio yeah. vaccine. yes and he said that, yeah, it's a great he has so many stories yeah his it's I it's can't old imagine school Hollywood growing too, up, yeah, cool. growing up. yeah growing up in Hollywood it's just such a different thing because I yeah. feel like you know we all came to it at the age of ten or whenever yes. as with this sort of like outsider status you know coming in being like what is you know to to grow up within it it's just a whole different thing you know i think about also the indie. era
0: he did i mean hollywood yeah. in the 60s and the 70s is just yeah. a whole different ball game than oh my it no. is now so i mean just again like you said oh my his first garage band was him sean cassidy and jamie lee curtis
2: yeah, yeah. i mean that's your first garage band growing up you it's also just so think of, you also just think about like from his perspective you know because like now if I, I mean i know people that that are on shows or that write for shows, and there's there's so Humblebrag. many of them. No, but you know what I mean. Like you just I'm you kidding. know, and they all like you. There are there's so many networks. There's so many streamers. There's yeah. so many shows. Yeah. But back then there were three networks, four yep. maybe if you counted Fox barely. And so uh, the idea of like. Boy Meets World being a hit and like being on a successful show, it's like there were only so many. You know, there were only yeah. so many, and, and, and that's so different than now. Like I feel like so many people I know work in so many different sides of the industry that the industry feels just sprawling and huge. There's so many yeah. different aspects. But back then, man, if you were on the Disney lot making a hit Disney or a hit show on ABC, that must have, I mean, you just must have felt like you won the lottery. I mean, I guess we did as we kids, did. but we no, did. Yeah. we
0: were you know we yeah. did win the lottery. It was amazing. It was. It was incredible. Uh, very briefly to touch on something that, that Jeff talked about because he talked about kind of looking back at your life and and kind of taking it for what it is. And I completely understand that. But I also think, I, I think there's this thing that's happening nowadays where people think you can't criticize something and still love it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I disagree with that entirely. I think you can absolutely, I love Boy Meets World. I loved all my time on Boy Meets World. And I have no problem looking back and saying there are parts of it that, that that still stick with me and not always for the best way. I you can love something and still be critical of it. And I think uh I think that's how you know you love it, frankly. Yeah, so, I mean dare I
1: say yeah. I think if you love something you should be critical of Absolutely.
0: it. Absolutely. So yeah. I you know there's this kind of idea that you know I've I've read some things where people are like oh they're bashing the show. I I don't think we're doing that at all. We're looking back at our experiences of something that we love that we took Took with us. That's a huge part of our life. And now looking back at it with older eyes saying, hey, maybe this wasn't the best when we were kids. Yeah, Uh, that doesn't anyway, any way, shape or form change the love that I have for the show. So I Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just that stuck with me a little bit where it's like, wait a minute, I, I should be allowed to criticize something that I love. Yeah. Uh, I'm supposed to, in my opinion. So, yeah. Well, I think, think about it's how, you, how,
2: how you treat your parents, you know? It's like you worship them uh, all the way up into you know to your teen years, and then you kind of start to see them as, like, flawed humans, like all right. of us. Yes. Exactly. Know? That's what I keep reiterating to Indy. Like, whenever, you know, I, we were having this conversation, I don't know, we were stressing out about being late for school or something, and I was finally like, Indy, I don't know how to be a dad. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm figuring this out, man. Like mom and I (laughs) are making this up. We don't know what we're doing. So you have to help us. Like when I'm, you know, when I'm, when I'm mad at you or frustrated with you, it's because I don't know what I'm doing. I, it's not like I, and it just blew his mind. Like he, you know, it's like, I think he thought like I've been a dad before or like I went to dad college, like that there's some like book that I read or some, you know, and it's, I just want to be honest with it because, you know, I feel like I went through the same thing with my parents. You have to go, you have to be disillusioned and you can still love them and you can still. So, of course. And in some ways it helps you appreciate them more because Agreed. you can yes. see like how flawed and how human and how many mistakes were made and yeah. why, because we all make so many, you know, nobody's perfect. Yeah. And that's actually, it's the, the most mature thing you can do. And probably that the, the best gift you can give somebody is still loving them despite seeing their flaws. Um,
1: and anyway. also for other people looking from the outside in. It is helpful for other people to know that their experiences of being flawed are not unique. If we presented right. our situation, our show and all the wonderful things about it that you love and it was like, well, it came to be because we're all perfect people <laughs> who made a perfect thing, who yeah, did right. no, who made no mistakes. It's like that doesn't help other people. And so. Yeah, right. The idea of being able to look at something and tell the truth about it and say, I'm still proud of it. I still love it. I still this uh, and I'm still I still turned out okay or even better than okay, um, only just helps people. And it's it's, I mean, that's literally what growth is. And I wouldn't want to do it any other way. And I wouldn't want to be talking about it with any other people. So I love you both very, very, very much. (laughs) Like just I I think about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I love you guys a lot.
2: I love you. Yeah. I love
0: you guys, too. And uh, Ryder, you might not, if you, when, when, you're, when you're raised in Indy, if you need help.
2: You're the guy. Oh, best grandpa
0: ever. Of course. <laughs> best, best grandpa ever, my friend. That's so, what you
2: need. You need the best grandpa ever. <laughs> you need the best grandpa ever to help him bait yeah, his Forget hooks. asking my dad. I got to go ask Will. You got to
0: ask me. I'll bring my Werther's Originals. My we, know, we know how much he loves children. <laughs> I have enough love for you guys. That's
2: all I need. Oh, my. I'm the child.
0: Damn it. Oh, my.
2: Ryder, will you do our out? We love you all. Pod dismissed.
0: Pod Meets World is an iHeart podcast produced and hosted by Danielle Fischel, Will Friedle, and Ryder Strong. Executive producers Jensen Karp and Amy Sugarman. Executive in charge of production, Danielle Romo. Producer and editor, Tara Sudbachsch. Producer, Jackie Rodriguez. Engineer and Boy Meets World superfan, Easton Allen. Our theme song is by Kyle Morton of Typhoon, and you can follow us on Instagram at World Show or email us at podmeetsworldshow at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers.